My friends in Christ, there is no shortage of information out there in the world, and by the world I mean the far-reaching places of Google that will give you information, help you understand how a cross will help protect you from vampires. Apparently this is especially true if the person who is holding the cross actually believes that it will protect them. So you can read about this kind of thing and you can see whether a a tattooed cross will work or whether you have to wear it around your neck or hold it in your hands. I guess those who spend a lot of time being concerned about vampires would find comfort in crosses that would ward off evil for them. I trust that most of us here today are not too concerned about stumbling across a vampire anytime soon, but we look at the cross for other purposes, and we find comfort in the cross of Jesus, not uh, because of what it is, but because of what Jesus did there. Jesus talked specifically about his cross months before he went to it to die. St. Peter's uh, reaction to that, his response to what Jesus was saying, uh, prompted Jesus to talk not just about his cross, but about other crosses that were not his, but ours. I know that doesn't sound too good, but these words of Jesus through these words of Jesus, I think that we'll all be able to find comfort in crosses, both the cross of Jesus and the crosses that we bear. It says here, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day, be raised again. You remember how Jesus asked his followers who the people out there said he was, and how he then asked them who they said he was? And do you remember... Peter boldly stepping forward, because that's the only way Peter knew how to step forward, saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. All of this happened right after that. From that time, it says, from the time of that answer by Peter, Jesus started giving his disciples more detail. Jesus came into the world to do exactly what he was telling his disciples he was going to do. The path that he was walking on was the path that would lead him to the cross, to pay for the world's sins and to open the gates of eternal life. He would suffer at the hands of the very people who should have known him for who he was. He would die at the hands of the very people he came to save, but he would defeat death with his resurrection from the grave, and he would give the the promise of eternal life to all those who trust in him. This is what the Father had in mind for him to do. It's why he sent him into the world. This is why Jesus came into the world. So these are the things of God, as Jesus put it here. Maybe you felt the shock of a loved one telling you that they only had months to live. The thought of someone who is special to us being gone forever, uh, of course, elicits an emotional response and sometimes even a defiant response. That was Peter when Jesus got more specific about his upcoming sufferings and death. He loved Jesus. 
He was protective of Jesus. He would later prove that, that protective nature in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus was put to death. His love for Jesus, his willingness to, to stand up for Jesus, these were not the problem. His not understanding why Jesus came into the world and why he was going to do what he was going to do, that was a problem. The devilish trap that he set uh, for Jesus was a problem. Through Peter, the temptation for Jesus to agree that this was unfair and for him to not allow his suffering and death was a very real temptation. It's been a bunch of years now, but a handful of guys from church here uh, took a backpacking trip through Aravipa Canyon. I don't know if you've been there, but uh, it's beautiful, a beautiful place. Uh, some of us had never been there before. A few of the guys uh, had. On our way out of the canyon, one of the experienced guys was leading us out, and uh, I was following directly behind him. Without noticing it, he stepped right over a coiled rattlesnake on the path. Fortunately, I noticed that the snake was there as I was about to put my foot down on that spring-loaded serpent. Okay, he wasn't so spring-loaded. It was pretty cool morning, and he was cold. I don't think he was going anywhere too quickly. But it was then that I learned this saying from our leader. The first guy wakes the snake up, the second guy ticks it off, and the third one gets bit. Obviously, he's the one that taught that. That might explain why he chose to lead the group also. Better to be the leader than the follower when it comes to snakes, apparently. Better to be the leader than the follower. Peter instinctively reacted that way. The word disciple means follower, but the disciple Peter put himself in the lead and tried to make Jesus the follower. This will never happen to you, he said. So quickly, Peter went from you are the Christ to this will never happen to you. Peter felt he knew better than Jesus. Jesus told them the way it was going to be and what was going to happen, and Peter said to him, no. He was unaware that the serpent was there, coiled up, whispering in his ear. This was a temptation for Jesus to give up on his mission, to, to avoid the misery and the immense pain and the ungodly weight of sin that would be upon him and death. This explains why Jesus would call Peter Satan in that moment. His thoughts aligned perfectly with Satan's desire to prevent Jesus from going to the cross to save sinners. Peter didn't even realize Satan was there in the background. He was focused on Jesus. Jesus had never done anything wrong, ever. That he would be mistreated by the religious leaders and then put to death was unthinkably unfair to Peter. Peter was prompted by love for his Savior, but he needed to be put in his place because he was out of line. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing, why he was doing it, and it certainly was not his place to tell Jesus what he was going to do or not do. 
there was no escaping the cross for Jesus. So he spoke abruptly, forcefully to Peter because the cross was necessary. The cross was necessary for Peter and for us. Peter later found comfort in that cross, the same comfort that that you and I find when he saw his sins nailed to that cross and the devil defeated and forgiveness for his sins. We want the comfort of Jesus' cross. We have that comfort, and we want it around us. And so we wear uh, crosses on necklaces and on rings and on our clothing, and, and we have lots of crosses decorating our church. If you want to keep your kids busy, tell them to run around and count the number of crosses they find in here. We've got them all over our walls in our homes. Crosses are everywhere. We use crosses for our comfort, not as superstitious tools to to ward off evil, but so that we're reminded of what happened at that cross, to be reminded of the payment for our sins, for the forgiveness that we have, for the promise of eternal life because of what Jesus did there. We find comfort in Jesus' cross. Just as there was no escaping the cross for Jesus, There is no escaping crosses for Christians either. This was a teachable moment, and Jesus seized it. He had a cross coming. His followers had crosses coming too. Now, you and I may think that we know what it means to bear our crosses, but maybe we don't. You might have ongoing health issues, and there is... Uh, seemingly little to no hope that some of those are ever going to go away. And so you say, well, this, this is my cross to bear. Or you're a student and, and you watch other students that seem to have no limit to their learning and their retention of information, but you sit there you're trying to make a decent grade and maybe even trying to stay in school, and you say, well, my, my limitations are my cross. Or... My kids are absolutely driving me crazy. This is the cross I bear. Thing is, none of this, none of these things and many things like them are actually crosses in the way that Jesus talks about them. Crosses are things that Christians suffer because they are Christians. Those other kind of things, those are just worldly suffering. These are things that everybody in the world goes through, not not just Christians. Those have nothing to do with faith. Jesus talks about crosses as things having to do with self-denial for God and not just things that happen to us in the world. So uh, a follower of, of Christ is one who's willing to bear their cross and says things like, I will put God first and not myself. I'm willing to to lose the the kind of life a person might have in this world if they live for themselves for the sake of, of God and living for Him. I don't want all that the world has to offer if that means losing Jesus. I don't want to trade my place in heaven for, for something that the world offers to me. Out of love for Jesus, a person, a Christian might endure ridicule like Jesus did. This makes us think maybe about 
if we've been hiding our faith from the people around us, or at least keeping it quiet enough that it doesn't cause us much trouble. Are you denying yourself and taking up the cross of suffering, or are you laying down your cross so that you'll be liked, or your life will be just a little bit easier maybe? A Christian is one who is willing to make sacrifices, something that that actually costs them something at the expense of of things they could have in this world. This might make us think of how we use our time. Do I have plenty of time for all of the things that I want to do, but not time for the things that God gives me to do? Do you go to all your foodie events and concerts and sporting events and do you spend all the time you want gaming or binge watching shows or or whatever it is that you like but God only gets a a little bit of the time that's left maybe for church or a Bible study or devotion maybe helping other people helping out here at church are we denying ourselves like Jesus followers do Or are we really living for ourselves? Some of you might really hate this, but a preacher is obligated to share uh, God's word and what he says, especially when evidence indicates that there is a problem among God's people. So here's another example. Do you deny yourself when it comes to the offerings that you give back to God? Or do you live for and you pay for all of the things that that you want and ignore what God says about giving back to him? If this was not a little problem among us, then we wouldn't be in a, a bit of a financial hole in our congregation right now. And we wouldn't be projecting to be in a little financial hole at the end of the year either. Being upset about hearing about giving to the Lord often comes because Uh, We are unwilling to deny ourselves the things that we want in order to live as a follower of God and to give as uh, God says a follower of his gives. The cross that Christians may have to bear in this regard is they don't get to do all of the things that they may want to do and all of the things that other people uh, do, but they do that because they love God. And they want to show him their love by listening to the things that God says. And even when it comes to giving back to him, like when he says, give back to me in proportion to the way I give to you, and give regularly and generously and joyfully and with thanksgiving. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. What will it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Do we want to follow Jesus? That's the question, isn't it? It is, because Jesus puts this out to your heart. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I know this can be heavy stuff. We're sinful. We get it wrong. Peter did. We forget 
we naturally are inclined to serving ourselves. We lay down our crosses. We look like we're not following Jesus, and, and there is a danger that we won't. This is serious stuff. This is what caused Jesus to leave heaven, to come here into this world, and walk that path to the cross. The cross where you and I find forgiveness, even for these sins. You're not allowed to leave here this morning without understanding this one very important thing. You and I are not saved by the way we spend our time, by spending our time just right. You and I are not saved by giving back to God in just the right way. You and I are not saved by being a faithful witness to the people around us in just the right way. That would be earning your own salvation, wouldn't it? And you know that's not how this works. What would be the point of Jesus' cross if it were? No, we... We live in a certain way. We, we do certain things because we love Jesus who took up his cross for us. Jesus wanted to go to the cross to make us his. And because he made us his, we want to show love back to him. In love, he was willing to go to his cross for us. And in love for him, we're willing to bear our crosses for him. That's what disciples of Jesus do. We find comfort in our crosses when we look to Jesus and his cross and we remember what he did for us there. We find comfort in our crosses when we remember the promises that God gives us, like all things work together for the good of those who love God. Or this one, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, our crosses cause us to look to Christ and rely on God's promises that, that remind us that he is with us, that he is supporting us as we bear our crosses, and that as disciples of his, we can be confident that after a lifetime of bearing crosses for him, we will receive a crown, the crown of eternal life with our Savior. Amen.